Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are going to do probably a bit of a shorter one. Uh, Chase is pretty busy this week, so we weren't going to record it all, but there's been so much that's happened that we couldn't uh, not record, really. Um, so we are going to hope uh, hope to keep this around 30 to 40 minutes. Um, knowing us, who knows what it'll actually be, but that's the, that's the aim for it this week. Um, let's get right into it. There's a bunch of signings that we have to talk about and a massive trade. Um, let's just start with the biggest news of the week. Uh, let's just get right into it. The main topic, you know, the title of the show, Matthew Kachuk gets traded to the Florida Panthers big enough on its own, right? Like this would be a massive deal if just a couple first big prospects were involved, but no, back the other way goes Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger, obviously Huberto, the big, much bigger name of those two, but Weger, uh, definitely not a small part either. A 2025 first round pick that is lottery protected, uh, and Cole Schwinn, who is a prospect um, for the or well, for the Flames now. He was a third round pick in 2019, 81st overall. Uh, he's a right wing and centerman. Um, I, I know prospects guys kind of like him, but I don't think he's got like super high upside or anything like that. Um, by any means. So, you know, I'm not sure he'll really develop anything, but absolutely massive deal, even if it's just Huberto Uyghur in the first for Kachuk and a fourth. Um, conditions on all the picks, the 2025 first, as I said, conditional first, it's just lottery protected. I would assume if Florida, if, if that's a lottery pick, it'll be a 2026 first. Um, conditions of the 2025 first round pick that Florida sent to Calgary is lottery. Uh, Calgary receives Florida's 2026 first-round pick instead, and the 2025 fourth-round draft pick um, slides to 2026 as well. So just insane. This is probably the biggest trade we have seen in a very, very long time. Definitely years, I would say, right? Yeah, I saw multiple writers call it the biggest trade of the cap era and nothing jumped out at me to be like, you're obviously wrong about that. No, like it's, I think you had mentioned this an episode or two ago, but it's so rare that you see guys like Kachuk get flipped in their prime. You know, usually when we see it, the guys are Huberto's age or even older. Yeah, exactly. They're at least 28 kind of thing. Yeah, and so for Matthew Kachuk to be flipped, you know, he's turning 24, and he signs an eight-year deal with this contract, or with this trade as well. Uh, Kachuk turns around, signs eight at nine and a half per, um, and we'll get into that as well. But yeah, it's usually that you see an older guy get traded, and that's why it's the picks for prospects. This very much so was a quote-unquote hockey trade. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, there's a lot to get into with this. Um, and this is the biggest reason when, you know, Chase and I originally weren't going to record, I texted him this week as like, we kind of have to, because this is way too much to talk about on just, you know, what we're, we're going to be starting our ranking series next week. And, and so we'll be doing top 20 centers. This is way too much to discuss while we're doing that. Um, so where do we want to start here? Do we want to start from the, let's maybe the Florida side of things. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Florida tries to extend their window, right? Yeah, and 
I think if we're the, the easiest part to diagnose, I think of this is Matthew Kachuk at eight years, 9.5. Great contract. Yep. Yeah. Like slam dunk contract. Yeah. Like, is there how many years of that are you even remotely worried he's not, he's going to live nowhere close to? Obviously, not considering like massive career ending injury that is just a free injury because that could happen to anyone. Yeah. Aside from those kind of classic caveats. Maybe year eight. Yep. And even year eight, he'll be 32. Yeah. So, like, there's obviously a little bit of risk, but, like, not not a ton. And assuming there's no other pandemic or reason for the salary cap to stop going up, 9.5 eight years from now is going to look like six right now. Yeah, or exactly. Like yeah, so – um, no, I absolutely love this. Uh, Don Lashishan, he had his model, like he had Kachuk being a three win player for the next eight years. That makes sense. Yeah, like 4.4 this upcoming, or sorry, uh, yeah, projected 4.4 this upcoming season, uh, and then 4.3, 3.9, 3.5, 3.5, 3.4, 3.1. So over the course of this contract, he has it as a surplus value of $20 million almost. And yeah. five five surplus wins. Yeah, that's insane. And sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. So that's the easiest part of this deal. Now, the more complicated part is, yes, I, I absolutely think, you know, um, I was listening to uh, the PDO cast and, and they were talking about it. I think he, uh, they had Thomas Drantz on and we're discussing it. And one of the things Dmitry Filipovich had said was, you know, even back on the deadline when everyone's like, oh, they're all in, they're all in. Well, I still think that's true. You know, he put back on a little more, but, you know, he said, well, look, they should feel good about this core because the only ones who are over 26 on the core are Huberto and Uyghur. Um, And obviously, so now you get the trade. So now their core looks a 26-year-old Barkov, a 24-year-old Kachuk, 26-year-old Sam Reinhardt, um, obviously 35-year-old Patrick Hornquist. That's probably money they're going to try and move off the books, I would assume. Uh, 26-year-old Sam Bennett, 26-year-old Carter Verhage, 26-year-old Anthony Duclair, um, 20-year-old Anton Lundell, and then on the blue line, 26-year-old Aaron Ekblad. Uh, and, I mean, they don't really have anyone else extended for more than a year past this one. Um, so, and then obviously Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight and Ed. But, you know, up front anyways, they they have a 26-year-old core, and I think, you know, they, they should feel confident that they're going to have a very good team for the next three or four years, at least. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, it's how it's not obvious how they could look bad, to be honest. It seems like they would need a lot to go wrong to look bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest thing, the biggest question I have right now with this team and, and what this trade does, really, is more so is there did they get good enough or better enough i should say to take that next step in the playoffs is my question because i do think that you know like i mean i think you can make a pretty good case one way or the other if you take age completely out of it today who's the better player kachuk or huberto i think there's arguments for and against both of them yeah, it'll, it basically just comes down to how much do you care about points. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, Kajak's the better play driver. and But, I mean, and he had a ton of points last year, but I think everyone kind of 
Like, I, I don't think – even the most optimistic fans didn't really think he's probably going to be a 104-point player again, right? So Yeah, realistically, you're probably getting a 75-point player, which is still yeah. fantastic, but we're talking but about he, here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, um, you know, and so Kachuk, you know, does also bring a different element where – and I, I, I don't know, like, because Kachuk's one of the rare cases where it's like he actually does play – usually when – you say bring a different element for the playoffs. It just means someone who's bad at hockey because it hits a lot of people, right? But yeah, Chuck does bring a different element where he can piss people off to put his team on the power play, of which he's a massive part. Yeah, 100%. It's like legitimately useful, especially but, on a team but, like Florida with a whole it, bunch of stars. It's exactly, right? So my biggest question, though, is not the Huberto for Kachuk. I think – I completely understand why Florida did that. I think it makes all the sense in the world. You're getting a guy who's five years younger and, you know, at the very worst, very slightly not as good, or like not quite as good as Hubert, at the very worst. Yeah. My biggest question is, is this defense core good enough to actually make a difference in, especially when it comes to the playoffs? That is the million dollar question because they had two distinctly good defensemen uh, last year and now they have one. Yeah. And, you know, they've been kind of a, kind of a defenseman factory, but I feel less confident in that because do you remember who their head coach is this year? Unfortunately, I do. It is Paul Maurice. And that is still the biggest reason I'm down on this team a little bit more is that if it was still that Quenville system, I would still feel better, I think, about guys like Brandon Montour and even like Gustav Forslings had pretty good numbers in Florida at different times here, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'd feel okay about those guys being able to hold their weight, but I just, I don't have any confidence in Paul Maurice getting the most out of these guys. Yeah, 100%. And we've talked about the Quenville effect and everything. You're now two head coaches away from Joel Quenville. Uh, And one of them is... Like we said, Paul Maurice, which is probably going to be ugly. Yeah, so that's my biggest thing is, you know, what are they going to do? They are currently $3.3 million over the cap, but Anthony DeClaire just had uh, surgery. That'll keep him out for four or five months, apparently, unfortunately. So they'll be able to LTIR his $3 million, and they won't have to do too much uh, finagling to get under the cap. But I, I think Hornquist probably gets moved this year if they can, but they don't have assets, and that's the other thing. So they now don't have a first-round pick until 2026. Yeah, they're they're as all-in as you possibly can be. Yeah, and that's fine, but also you're gonna they're gonna have to get very creative at the deadline, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think usually you do. I mean, not I shouldn't say usually; it depends, but it's not always. I mean, usually it's not the big fish that actually makes the massive difference for a team. It's Guys sometimes that go maybe more under the radar, like what Tampa Bay has done or the Arteri Lekkinen deal for Colorado, right? Yeah. And I was about to say those guys don't cost first-round picks, but a lot of like Tampa guys have costed first-round picks, but it's been for multiple years, right? But like Arteri Lekkinen, I think, was a second and a prospect. Yeah, something like that. So – yeah, so they can still make that kind of deal. But, you know, I don't know how they're going to move off Hornquist's money. And he only has one year left. So if you can move your way around the cap where it's not an issue, they'll probably want to keep him for their 
their bottom six this year anyways and just let them walk or re-sign them for cheaper next year. But I just I, – I, I understand the deal, but it was definitely a lot to give up. Way more than I thought Calgary would get, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like an NHL 22 trade value thing, they got so much more value than they had any business getting. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we can switch to the Calgary side of this now. And like, what what are your thoughts overall on the trade from Florida's perspective? If you had to give a grade and then just like your general thoughts. Yeah. So I'm somewhat surprised to say, see everybody being like, this was all right for Florida and fantastic for Calgary. I thought it was like a slam dunk for Florida, like an A. Their decor scares me, but I respect them for betting on these skilled forwards. They open their window for longer with this, and we always talk about the way to win is just uh, open that window for as long as you can and keep taking shots. So I, I think it was fantastic for Florida, although they probably did get worse for next year as a contending team, which kind of sucks. Yeah, I think it does. But at the same time, like, they had so far to fall off from, too, right? Like, they won the President's Trophy last year. And granted, it was an ugly look in the playoffs at times. Like, me and you were very disappointed after their first round series. But then the thing, I like, it almost feels like I've done a 180 on their playoffs here, where everyone's like, oh, well, they got swept by Tampa, so that's why these changes had to be made. It's like, okay, yeah, but they didn't deserve to be swept by Tampa. No, not at all. And, like, but people, like, that seems to be, even on, like, the PDO cast, like, Dmitry Filipovich was convinced. He's like, yeah, this type of hockey just wasn't working. They could have played 10 more games like that and lost them all. I was like, were we watching the same thing? They had two or three games where they outshot the Lightning, like, 42 to 25 and lost two to one. Like, I don't really need to get in the X's and O's of how you're doing that because you're not just taking 40-point shots. Like, if you do that, you will win games. Yep, in the long run, you will win that that way. And the other weird thing is um, about Matthew Tuchuk's style in the playoffs. If you think the Leafs have been choking in the playoffs, go look up Matthew Tuchuk's playoff numbers. Yeah, well, that's the big thing over in Calgary of him and Goudreau. You know, they won two series together as Flames. Yep. So Tuchuk's numbers in the playoffs are not good at all. Yeah, so... Um, I, I agree with you. I, I like this from Florida's perspective. I, I think it's um, fair. Like it, it's a great way to um, extend your window. And also I understand why teams, especially a team as good as Florida would want to take a run, another run with a guy like Jonathan Huberdo. But the fact that you, this is the best way to maximize your assets for an, a pending UFA while also keeping your team competitive. Like this was the perfect balance of doing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, you'd say more teams should do this, but also Matthew, the Matthew Kachuk situation doesn't come around that often, right? So, barely ever. Yeah. Um, so, on the Calgary side, this is even more interesting, in my opinion, than the um, Florida side of things. Because just the return, A, the return is. Way, 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 way more than I ever thought they were going to get. I thought they were going to get a first, a prospect like uh, Schwinn, and then maybe a second first, or like a, a good, like maybe one of Uyghur or Huberto, but not both. And even like, I didn't think they would get a roster player quite as good as Huberto. Like, he is really, really, really good. 
Yeah, I thought they might have got like a 25-year-old, but that 25-year-old's a 55-point player instead of a 110-point player, whatever Huberto was last year. Yeah, and so right away, this is great value in terms of like, you they weren't clearly not going to get a better deal than this, right? Yeah. And this brings me to why I'm curious to see what they do next, because the immediate snapback reaction to a lot of this was, oh, they still think they can compete. That's why they went out and got Huberto and not Futures. And while this is the NHL, and I wouldn't be shocked if that is the truth, my thought process on this was, even if they think they are going to take a step back, this is still the best package they could get because you are going to get a haul if you decide to trade Jonathan Huberto at the deadline. And you are also going to get a haul if you try to decide to trade Weaker. Like you could probably get minimum two more first, a really good prospect, and more picks back for just those two alone. Yeah, pretty easily. Like you're getting that Mark Stone level package for Huberto at the deadline, where you're getting a prospect who's viewed as elite. And then I guess the Stone was a second, but you're probably getting a first plus, and that's just Huberto. Yep. And then you'll probably get, especially if you put Weger in a position to succeed, you're either getting a first for Weger or a second, a really good prospect and depth picks or something like that. Like you could turn this into where suddenly after the trade deadline, we're looking at as, Oh, it's Matthew Kachuk in a fourth round pick for three first, an elite or two elite prospects and a second and a third or something like that. Yeah. And that is better than any deal you're going to get from any team because no team would give you two or three firsts. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. Now, if that's what they do. Yes. And and this is the tough thing that Calgary is in because this roster now isn't bad. They're the best roster in the division. Yeah. I mean, unless you really buy gold and and even the gold next to a clear, like, unless you really buy that a full year healthy Jack Eichel is going to offset what they lose with like Pacioretty. Yep. But like at worst, they're the second best roster in their division. And by yeah. a lot. Are you going to be selling if you're uh, comfortably have home ice in the first round of the playoffs at the deadline? And and that's the and like honestly, could like and so and, and might be you know looking to win a couple playoff rounds again. And that and this is the really tough part too. And especially because apparently like so right now they have nine point three million dollars in cap space with uh, Shillington and uh, Maginapani to sign yet, but apparently they might be in on like a Cadre type as well. If you had Cadre, Huberto, and Meager and lose Goudreau and Kachuk for just one season, you're probably not much worse off. Like just all things equal in terms of we're, we're not looking at their cap hit or anything like that. Just the players in and out, the total war. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't think about cap hit. Yeah. And but the captain is why you have to think about it. And it's not, this year is not the issue. It's going forward because a, you cannot afford to let Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weaver walk for nothing. This deadline, unless you like you get off to the start where it's like, you really, really, really feel like you could contend with Colorado and you legitimately can win a cup. That is and, and even, like, you have to be, in my opinion, this team needs to be so good to convince me of that. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm gonna pull this up right now. What where do you think they are in like cup odds in the league? Like how many league, scenarios are there where they're that probably good? likes them more than 
Like I, they're probably what seventh in couple. Of, okay, so the teams that will definitely be ahead of them: Colorado, obviously; Tampa, obviously. Yeah. Florida will probably be ahead of them. Yeah. The Florida Leafs, so. I would assume. Leafs are ahead of them. Oh, these are outdated. Oh. Fun fact: If you want to bet some cup odds, the DraftKings stuff are still from June thirtieth. Huh. There we go. That um, seems like a very big oversight, given. Uh, Free agency. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, so there's four. Um, depending how anxious the book is, I could see Carolina being put ahead of them. Uh, and then can... a coin toss with Vegas. So I think they'd be in six, like the five to seven, five to eight range. Yeah, which is a pretty sketchy. It's a good range to be in, but it's pretty sketchy to be all in. Like, absolutely all in it in that range. Yeah, and so I know people are probably screaming at their computer right now or their phone or whatever they're listening on, and they're probably screaming, well, they can just resign them. But this is the issue. Jonathan Huberdo, and, and Huberdo's I'm a little less worried about, but Jonathan Huberdo is an absolute steal at $5.9 million. However, Jonathan Huberdo is 29 and will be 30 when he signs his new contract. He's going to sign a horrible contract. He's... 30-year-old Jonathan Huberdo at $11 million? Like, he, he's asking for what Goudreau was going to get from Calgary minimum, right? And they were offering apparently upwards of 10.6. Yep. Yep, pretty easily. So, uh, let, let's say 10.5 even. Be generous. 10.5 for Goudreau's, or for Huberdo's 30- to 37-year-old season is not good value. No, it's going to be awful. It it's, the be, next contract is going to be horrible. Yeah, it might be fine for a season or two, but even then, at 10.5, it's just harder to field a competitive team, and even more so for Mackenzie Weaker. I love Mackenzie Weaker at $3.25 million. Do I love 29 to 35-year-old Mackenzie Weaker at $7 million? Six, even six and a half? Not really. Not for term. No, and, and again, like the biggest problem with this team, in my opinion, is – it, yes, it looks really, really good right now. If Mackenzie Weger, but Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberdo are making a combined just over $9 million. If that turns into $19 million, you you just, you can't afford either, you know, you, you're probably not going to be able to afford if you sign Cotter this year. That contract, you know, you're either, and, but you're going to be stuck to that. Now, granted, Lucic's contract is coming off the books next year. So you're getting $5.25 million off of that. Monahan's is also coming off the book. So they will have cap space to use. It's just, is that the best way to tie it up? I don't know. Yeah. And let's be honest, that's probably what they're trying to do, right? I would assume so. Like, I, I can't imagine a GM and Brad Chiller, unless he's completely sold his owner that they need to rebuild, but I, I highly doubt it. Like, I, I think the most likely outcome is probably they – Try to resign both Huberto. I bet you Huberto goes eight by ten point six or eight by eleven, just like you know they were offering Goudreau. I bet yep. you Uyghur gets maybe six by let's say six by six because I you know, Uyghur kind of does still has felt maybe a little undervalued to the league, right? But yeah, he gets a modern day like Jake Gardner contract from when Gardner hit free agency, kind of thing. Exactly. So the two of those guys combine for seventeen million dollars. 
And then if they have like a cadre on the books as well, like I think that's probably the most likely outcome. And again, like maybe they're going to have the cap space to be able to work with it because Lucic 5.25 is off the book next year. Uh, and so is uh, Monaghan 6.375. So they are getting almost $12 million to work with or 11 and a half. But I just, I don't know, like how quick does this core suddenly turn into where they're too old? Because unlike Florida, where they have a young, or not even young, but like a nice core of 26-year-olds, this core is already getting kind of old. Yeah, yeah, this core, is, this core is even old with T'Chuck instead of Huberto. Mm-hmm. Or it wasn't the Annelies, yeah. Huberto's 29, Backlund's 33, Blake Coleman's 30, and he signed for five more years, so he's a part of the core. At a gross ticket, too. Like, that that contract could look ugly by the end of it. Um, yeah. That, Elias Lindholm... Yeah, it doesn't look great right now, that's for sure. Lindholm's 27. Defoley's already 30. And now, again, like, a couple of these... A bunch of these guys have, like, two years left, so they can redo it. I don't know. Every time I talk, every time I look over different situations for this team, I kind of feel a different way. I think the easiest way they quote-unquote win the trade is by getting absolute peak dollar for Huberdeau and weaker. Yeah. That being said, I because like I think the one thing, and I do this all the time, this is my word, I think like as a fan slash kind of like, you know, analyst on the side of just like with our podcast or whatever, I often, often, often forget this is also a business. True. This is this is the marshmallow test for GMs, right? Like this team could win the division this year at the cost of like three extra years of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? I I, I can't answer you. that question. No, I, and, very, yeah. Well, and especially for in hockey, it's so tough to know because winning the division doesn't mean anything. It's if this team wins the division, and goes on a massive playoff run. So on the end, I think that is worth it, even if you don't yeah, win like, the cup. If you they can get to the round. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, but if you bow out in the second round of the playoffs in five games like you did last year, no, it's probably not worth it. Exactly. So, and here's the even more complicating part on top of this all, in my opinion, too, is that um, obviously these all won't all work out, but in two years from now, they will have all of these players off the books. And obviously they can re-sign some of them to their liking, but... Backland is off the books after the 2023-24 season. Lucic is off after this season. Lindholm will be off the books uh, after that season. Toffoli will be off the books after that season. Uh, Dylan Dubé will need a new contract after that season. Kevin Rooney will be off the books. Trevor Lewis will be off the books. Not sure about Mangiapane yet, right? But let's assume they sign Mangiapane like a six-year deal. Now the question becomes, you re-sign which guys of those I just named that you like, right? Yeah. Do you think that and and I, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what the answer is. This is probably something that they need to realize, figure out if they're confident enough. Do they think that Connor Zari, Jacob Peltier, Cole Schwinn, you know, uh, Emilio Pedersen, those are their four big prospects up front, I'm pretty sure. Do they feel those guys are good enough to kind of bridge the gap and be the next core where even if you're not getting full value of a Jonathan Huberto contract, it doesn't matter because those guys are on your LC and that's the window they want to keep extended. Yeah. And the answer to that is almost certainly not, but maybe. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think it's, and, and again, like even more on the decor, Hannafin 25, he's up in two years. 
Uh, Tanev, who's 32, is up in two years. Zadorov, who's 27, is up in two years. And then uh, Rasmus Samson is the only one signed above two years right now on that decor. Um, go nuclear, absolutely galaxy brain this. Go all in again this year. And then next year, you do your retool where you're dumping Backlund, Lindholm to Foley uh, and Hannafin all the deadline. And Tanev all the deadline. I mean, if if it gets to the point where they don't trade Huberdo and he walks, I think that is what's going to happen, right? Yep. Because that's enough players that could also kickstart a rebuild, even if Huberto and Uyghur walk for mm-hmm. nothing, which yeah, is absolutely. probably Now, you could go ultra galaxy brain even and say, why don't you trade Huberto, Uyghur, and all of those guys next year? <laughs> True. But, um, yeah, I don't think it, it, it's super interesting. There's a lot up in the air with this team because they do have prospects. Like, they don't have, like, the stud prospects, I don't think, but – they have a decent system for how good the team is. Yep. Yeah. There's a couple of those guys you mentioned are half a point a game in the AHL at like 20. That's, you know, you're not guaranteed superstars from that, but you're you're looking at promising NHL players at the very least. Exactly. But I think, you know, if you're Calgary, the way you're probably looking at it is we have our big superstar in Huberto, and if he can still create as a superstar in three years, that's the guys we play with them. But again, I think there's a lot of significant risk to that. So I, I think the win probability of this trade, if you're looking back at it in 10 years, I think it actually goes down if they re-sign both Huberto and Weaker to massive tickets. As weird as that sounds. I think it goes to almost zero if they re-sign them both. Probably. It definitely takes a big hit. So um, so, so this is going to be a short podcast. We just spent 30 minutes on that topic alone. Uh, there's one big other one. Then we have a bunch of small deals we can touch on real quick. But Patrick Line signs a deal with the um, Columbus Blue Jackets. Obviously, they had Goudreau. We already talked about it. Um, so Patrick Line signs a big ticket with the uh, Blue Jackets. Um, I am pulling it up right now because there's been a lot of signings since then. Four years, $8.7 million. Um, I... I Let's talk about the deal and the corresponding trade first. And then I have a take I want to throw past you here. Um, but first of all, the deal. I'm, I'm shocked by this, to be honest. This was more money and less term at that money. I thought there's the only way you give Line 8.7 is if you're just fully committing to him for like six to eight years. Not, or if it's a one-year deal, maybe. Not to kind of bridge him in the middle where you buy two UFA years and that's it. They yeah they paid Blaine like he is what we all thought he was gonna be not what he is right now. Yeah, and like I like I understand because he's so up and down, not being sure. But like if you're gonna commit to him with that AAV, just commit with the term. You're already most of the way there. Yeah, you're going balls to the wall with this core, anyways. <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse and i mean i'm gonna take a guess on which one that is but and like i get it like so i say you know i was surprised he had that aav he quietly put up 26 goals in 56 games like he was almost on a 40 goal pace again this year yeah. now we've seen just wildly inconsistent inconsistency out of him so i i wasn't sure how i felt about that before but i hate this trade 
because it turns into because they made this trade, they had to turn around and trade or made this signing. Sorry, they had to turn around and trade Oliver Bjorkstrand to the Seattle Kraken for a third and fourth round pick. Yeah, and Bjorkstrand's probably a better player than Line, just in a less way. I was just about to say, if you had to choose one, cap hit included, would you rather Bjorkstrand at five point four or Line at eight point seven? I would rather Bjorkstrand at five point four. Not even. Yeah, cap hit included is not even a question. Even just like, yeah, and if we're saying cap hit's the same or we're not like thinking about it or whatever, I think it's still close, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and Bjorkstrand's better is the default answer, even without cap hits. Yeah. Um, so, A, really quick, the easiest part of this is great job, Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, they believe cap space was a weapon very clearly after the expansion draft and worked for them. Exactly. They get a really, really, really good player for just a third and a fourth round pick. They still have three seconds in this upcoming draft. They have all their own picks. It wasn't even their picks they traded away. They still two fourths as well. Um, so, you know, a good piece of dealing from Seattle. He'll help their team. Um, you know, that's great. He's under contract for four more years at, at 5.4. And he's only 27. For Columbus... The signing sucks, but I keep going back to this is why you don't fucking sign Eric Goodbranson to a four by four. Yeah, sometimes on free agency days, like nerds like us freak out about these contracts and people who, the classic kind of people who try to walk the line between paying attention to advanced stats and not uh, say, well, it's probably not that big of a deal. Yeah, it was that big of a deal. Yeah, and, and so usually this is just an accelerated version of it because usually what happens is you sign this contract and go, well, let's just see how it plays out. It turns out horribly like, oh, who could have saw that coming? Hindsight bias. Yeah. This is just, it just happened within well, a week because they didn't realize Goudreau was going to be available to them. Which is also a problem. I mean, like, good for them. They got Johnny Goudreau. But the fact that you didn't have a little bit of a plan for a franchise-altering move one week earlier is concerning. Yeah. And so I think it was just, you know, like a year or like a, a year, a week ago that I was saying, I kind of like this forward core. They could be sneaky good. I mean, I still do. I think still think it's fine, but like they were posting projected lines. I was like, Ooh, that is like, you really need Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger to be legit. If you, if this core wants to be really good. Yeah, absolutely. And so my hot take is that this has not only been, a meh offseason for Columbus. This has been like an actively bad franchise setting back offseason for Columbus. Yeah, which is too bad because I thought they killed the draft. Yeah, and like like I thought they were in a really good position to like kind of do this mini retool for like a, another year or two maybe, you know, come out of it with Wierenski's 26, 27. Like obviously he's a little older than you'd like, but he's still like he's that perfect age where it's like, okay, now he could be the leader of this team to start competing, right? as we get all our guys and even like Boquist will be 23 by that time. And now you just rushed into being like Minnesota for the past decade. Yeah. They're dialed in to be Minnesota on those Parise suitor deals. Yeah. Like what is the outcome of this thing? Like what is the end goal for this team? And again, I I did just say it's a business, but like to me, for Calgary, I understand it's a business because they could have a legit chance to go on a run. Like if I told you Calgary made the Western Conference Finals this year and lost the or like this coming year and lost the Avalanche in seven games, would you be shocked? 
I wouldn't blink. No. If I told you the Columbus Blue Jackets made the Eastern Conference Finals this year and lost in six or seven games, I would be like, yeah, you're right. There's no chance that's happened. Yeah, I would know you're lying to me. <laughs> so, like, what is the outcome of this offseason where it's like you're just trying to get four, like, two to three, two to four home revenue gates every year? It's like, is that really worth it versus taking one or two more years doing this correctly and having a much better chance at going on multiple deep playoff rounds? Yeah, I wouldn't say so. One, one more year? Absolutely, like, bite the bullet for one more year. Yeah. And there's always the idea that this gets brought up a lot. Well, Johnny Gaudreau might might not be available to you Mm -hmm. by the time you're competitive. Um, That's fine. Johnny Gaudreau is a great player and all, but UFAs are at their best value the first two or three years. If they don't align exactly with your timeline, don't do it. Don't sign them. Yeah. You don't have to spend the money. It was the same shit as when the Rangers signed Panarin. And I would argue Panarin's a better player than Goudreau. And B, that still doesn't look like it might turn out that great because Panarin's already starting to struggle at driving play at five on five. Now, his point totals are still there. So people aren't worrying. But like, yeah, for this team, it's like, what does Johnny Goudreau do for this team in the next two to three years while he should be, quote unquote, at his best value? Yeah, he pushes them from twenty fourth to nineteenth. Like, yeah, like I just, I, I don't get it. I, I really, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I think this team could be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be a good playoff team though. Like, they're going to be at best what forty percent favored in any playoff matchup they're in. If you just set super early odds, because they're probably only making a wild card. Absolutely. And you know what the best part is about this Johnny Goodrow thing and that whole window while he might not be available then? Mm-hmm. You know who taught us how valuable having cap space can be this offseason? The Seattle Kraken because they fleeced the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally the Blue Jackets are the example, the bad example of this. Yep, exactly. Like, so I, I don't know. I. There's such a confusing team because I, I do like some of the pieces. Like Kent Johnson, by all means, like seems like he should be a really good player. Cole Sillinger looked great last year. You know, you love their draft this year as well. But it's like all of that only goes so far if you have those guys, but then you're also paying like 32-year-old Johnny Goudreau and like 34-year-old Eric Goodbranson a combined $14 million to be who knows what for you. Add on another 8.7 for line eight. Like, I'm, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, this is this was tough. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to a couple. Two qualifying offers got signed. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois signed his one-year $6 million in Winnipeg. Pujarvi, uh didn't sign a qualifying offer. I believe it was they settled at one-year $3 million. Uh, they avoided arbitration. Both deals kind of feel like, especially Pujarvi ones, kind of still feels like he's probably going to get flipped, I think. It, I don't know. Do you get the same sense? That Pugliarvi deal feels like, uh, hey, the second you go on a PDO heater, you're you're gone. And honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if it's before that because it's, to me, I think part of the deal was also, hey, teams now know what your solid number is going to be. 
I, yeah, yeah, cost certainty there. True. Right. Like I think there might have been a little hesitation from some teams of like, okay, if we trade for this guy, is he gonna try and bend us over trying to get as much as he can because we just gave up assets for him and know we have to pay him? Whereas now it's like, no, you're stuck at three million dollars this year and we'll reevaluate after this year. Yep, yeah, that makes sense. So to me, that deal, I think I like I would be surprised if we RV is an oiler by I would be a little surprised if it's honestly by October or whenever the season starts. And I would be shocked if it's after the trade deadline, he's still an oiler, unless he goes on a massive like heater with points, because honestly a smart team might look at it and be like, Oh, we can flip them. But also this is Edmonton. I think they would just double down and give him a massive contract, which for Puyari might not be the worst idea because he's a good player anyways, but. Yeah. It, but he's wanted out since he was, what, like 20 years old? Yeah, but this most recent one kind of feels more like Edmonton just not getting the shot. But it feels like Edmonton pushing this more than Puliarvi. Yeah, and for no apparent reason. No, it's because he, he's not a great finisher, so he has no value to the team whatsoever. Yeah, because their because team they is have, loaded with great finishers. Yeah, well, they have five other brutal death players that they feel does the same thing that Puliarvi does, except Puliarvi yeah. doesn't actually well. <laughs> So, so that's the funny part. Their, their depth is so good, uh, they can't afford a Jesse. They don't need a Jesse Pugliarvi, who would be the only good player in their bottom six. Yeah. So um, then Pierre-Luc Dubois, kind of similar situation, but I think more just like he kind of realized he had to play this year and probably is another prove-it year for him. Um, so one yes. year, $6 million for him. I still wouldn't be shocked if he gets flipped, but I think that one will probably be they start the year with him and see what the, where they are at the at the deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, he might be next year's, like, to chuck trade. Not mm-hmm. nearly big, but, like, off-season, big fish kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, that I find funny about Winnipeg is we heard all these rumors about how they're going to, like, blow it up, like, massive. Wheel, two of, like, Wheeler, Shifley, Pierre-Luc Dubois are out. They've just done nothing this off-season of note. Yeah. They've done classic Winnipeg. Not a goddamn thing. Yeah, literally. Like, so, um, yeah, those are those two small signings uh, we wanted to touch on real quick. Um, oh, and I closed my signing list. What am I doing here? Um, another name was Kasperi Kappen, and he signed uh, a deal that I, w- I was surprised he got how much he got, to be honest. Um, like, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible or anything like that. It was just, he got two years at $3.2 million. I just didn't think he had produced at that rate. To, like, I, I thought he was going to be like a two-by-two two or something like that. Yeah, it's a big bet that you're getting last, like the 2020 Kapanen and not last year's Pugliarvi, or Kapanen, which is a tough bet when last year was he played twice as many games as the previous season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, the, the contract looks even worse because it was signed about – three minutes before Nino Niederreiter's contract breaks of two years, $4 million per year. Um, and I get he's four years older, but I would much rather Nino Niederreiter at 800K more than Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah, I'd rather go beat the uh, beat the Nino offer than Kapanen making this. Yeah, exactly. So um, the Kapanen one, not great. I love the Nino Niederreiter thing, although I just, I still don't understand what Nashville's doing. This team is just trying their hardest to be just so okay. 
they're really pissed off that the Minnesota Wild get credit for being the most average team in the league. <laughs> they're really trying to go for because like they've been, I mean, they have the obviously really good looking team in 2017, but like they've been they've been average for a long time too. Let's be honest. Yep. Yeah, they had the the one run with all those great defensemen and yeah. And they, they just they kind of like set up again doing the, the exact same stuff. Like, like yep. this is gonna I mean, be a fine team next year, but there's no chance you're taking this team to beat Colorado four times. Now, if I was a 72-year-old general manager, I may say fuck it and just say I'm making yep. the team as good as I can right now. Sure, too. but like that kind of feels like on the rest of the brain trust to be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't let this 72-year-old <laughs> manager who doesn't care about the future control our future. Hey, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Nina Ryder. Uh, the other one, the one other signing I want to touch on real quick was Jonas Siegenthaler signs with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, five years, $3.4 million cap hit. I originally looked at this and went, what? How much? Um, until I realized, I think I've been sleeping on Jonas Siegenthaler. Yeah, there's a non-zero chance they just signed the new Brodeen contract. Um, they might have also just signed a player who's only good at one thing that doesn't usually get you paid for term for no apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, I think he is only good at one. Like, he has not ever been good at offense, but he's really, really good at defense. And they did sign him to turn, but I don't like they 3.4 is very reasonable, even if the only thing he's good at is being really good defensively. Yeah, it is pretty cheap. I like this deal. It was sneaky decent, I think. Yeah, I think it was sneaky good. Like, I, I really like the deal in terms of just like, why not take this bet? Yeah, you're getting it's, no offensive upside, but you're not paying as if you are anyway. So that's fine. exactly. It's not like this is six point four million dollars, which is like I think is more in line with what Brodeen's AAV would be. Yeah, and um, well, I'm talking about that old four by six. Oh six right, years, yeah, four million dollar Brodeen contract. Yeah, um, but yeah, he kind of he reminds me of like a discount Brodeen kind of thing. Like we have yeah. Brodeen at home. Yeah, Walmart Brodeen, which is still good. Yeah, exactly. And for three point six, I would take that on my team any day. So yeah, and um, also yeah. it's like for the from the offensive perspective, like you have Severson, Dougie Hamilton's there for term. You just drafted Simon Nemec. Like yeah, you you could probably use a defensive specialist on that team. All of your sort of valuable chips on defense are in very offensively minded guys. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I I wanted to bring that up. I really like that deal, and that was one where I saw it come across. I was like, what are they doing? And I was like, oh wait, no, this is. Underrated player for sure. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to bring up real quick. We are we did go a little longer than we said uh, we would, but we're still about 45 minutes. Dustin Brown is getting his jersey retired and a statue out front of the building. I thought this was a meme at uh at first. Me too. Okay, so I think the jersey retirement actually fits. Like to me, the jersey retirement was. I, you can argue against it maybe, but I think it was almost fit for guys like Dustin Brown um, yep. where he's not anywhere near a hockey hall of famer, but he was still a very, very valuable part to a franchise and was the captain for both of their cups, including their first one ever in franchise history. Yeah. I would retire his Jersey. I think that's the perfect kind of realm for him. It, he was exactly. also better than his like counting stats imply. Sure. And he played 13 or just under 1,300 games, all with the, the franchise, which is cool. Yep. 
A statue? This is hilarious. For a guy who had, and I don't care, you have to be, I don't care how much better you are than your counting stats. The dude had 712 points in 1,300 <laughs> games. I saw the list of the other people with statues out front of their arena, and it's all like legendary sports names that you should know even if you don't care about the other sports, and then Dustin Brown. Yeah, well, so he's there the are third probably one. modern hockey fans who don't know who he is. He's the third one for the LA Kings. The first two are Luke Robitaille, who is yep. like one of the most crucial parts of the early franchise. I think he's top 10 all time in points, isn't he? Something like very close. Um, and the other guy is some dude named Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, I think he's been all right. Yeah, he was uh. He was, he was okay, is what I've heard. Um, the, the Lakers then also have, uh, I believe it was Kobe. I want to say Shaq as well. Yeah. Um, and probably one or two other, like, just iconic I'm uh, pretty people. sure Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, that would uh, definitely sound right. I, I'm just trying to see if I can look it up really quick. But yeah. It's just, I'm sorry. He doesn't fit with those guys. No, absolutely not. Here it is. Um, Star Star Plaza. Outside the arena, the Star Plaza are statues of famous uh, Los Angeles athletes and broadcasters. An 11th statue honoring uh, Los Angeles Spark Center, uh, Lisa Leslie, is slated to be unveiled in the future. So here's the names of uh, stat people up front. Wayne Gretzky, Magic Johnson... Oscar De La Hoya, who is a massive boxer. Uh, yep. Chick Hearn. Jerry West. Um, played for the Lakers in 1960 to 74 and coached from 76 to 79. Uh, Chick Hearn was their broadcaster from 61 to 2002. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, Luke Robitaille. Shaquille O'Neal. Um, Bob Miller, who was a Kings broadcaster from 73 to 2017. And Elgin Baylor, who played for the Lakers from 58 to 71. And, and Dustin, Dustin Brown is about to join them. Yeah, I, that, that's pretty tough. And so if I'm reading this right, Dustin Brown is getting a statue before Kobe. That can't, that cannot be right. This Wikipedia page has to be out of date. Yeah, that probably is. Does Kobe have a statue? And one at the crash uh, at Staples Center. That's what it used to be called, right? Yeah. There's no update. So Dustin Brown is getting a statue before Kobe Bryant. That is awesome. And that's all. And I don't want to, I, guess, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just shitting on Dustin Brown because he had a great career, career. Two cups. He was a crucial part in that first one, one point per game, and important enough in the second one too. Um, you know, leader for the franchise, all all that good stuff, right? But come on, it, it's funny. Yeah, it is. It's hilarious. Like it, it, it's yeah, it's very funny. I, I saw someone being like, "Who cares who gets a statue?" It's like, yes, I'm not losing sleep over this, but you can't not say you, you, like it, it's objectively hilarious. Yeah, because was he even one of the five most important people on the cup teams? 
This is what I was going to bring up to you next. So I would argue in 2012, probably, 2012 LA Kings playoff scoring. Because he, he went point per game in that. Yeah, he's not quick he led, still. He, he led the not team in scoring in, in 2012 in okay. terms of the playoffs. But still I would still, quick still doubt argue Doughty and Quick are both more important than him, right? Yeah. And Kopitar was his center, if I remember correctly. Yep. Kopitar was the center who was averaging 22 minutes a night, two full more months than Dustin Brown. Same amount of points. Yep, same amount of points. So I would say Kopitar is more important. And then I would probably put Brown fourth. The only one I think you can even reasonably argue is maybe Justin Williams. But even then, I don't I don't think so. Personally. I was going to say Brad Richards, too. Or Mike Richards. Mike Richards, yeah, maybe. But even Mike Richards had five less points and played less time as well per yeah. game. I was also um, going to say Daryl Sutter. Yes, well, yeah, exactly. Um, 2014, though, is when it gets really interesting because I'm not even sure he's, like, top five. So Kopitar, 26 points. Uh, sorry, yeah, 26 points in 26 games. Uh, leads the team in scoring. Jeff Carter, 25 points in 26 games. Justin yeah. Williams, 25 points in 26 games. Miriam Gabrick, 22 points in 26 games. Drew Doughty, 18 points in 26 games. 28 minutes a night average. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, that was that uh, the 70s that line break of the year. Yep. Yeah. Um, 14 points in 26 games. Then Dustin Brown's tied with 14 points in 26 games, playing 16 minutes a night. Or 16.57, it's almost 17 minutes a night. So Kopitar, for sure more important. Yeah. Doughty, for sure more important. Quick, yeah. for sure more important. Yeah. Carter, I think, is a pretty easy case in this one. Yeah. Justin Williams, I think, is a pretty easy case in this one. Pretty easy, especially adding in the whole Mr. Game 7 aspect of it, like the yep. high leverage of all his scoring. Marion Gabrick, I think, is at least I, – I would put Gabrick over him. Yeah. I and I would even debate Jake Musson because this is when Jake uh, Musson was averaging 23 and a half minutes a game. Yeah, they didn't have that many good defensemen, and Muzzin was fantastic on those teams. Yeah. So – He's at best seven in or ahead of Muzzin and maybe eight. Like, yeah. And, and I think again, Justin Williams even won a Con Smythe in there, so definitely Justin Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like he's a, at best for the 2014 run. He's seven in in terms of he's behind Kopitar, Carter, Williams, Gabrick, Dowdy, Quick. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Like again, I I feel bad because it feels like we're just shitting on the dude. Uh, he had an amazing career, and even that playoff run was a valuable part of the team. Being the eighth most important player on a playoff run is crucial, but it's not statue worthy. Yeah, this would be like who who on the this would be like Palat or someone on Tampa like that getting a statue. Literally, yeah, yeah. Like, oh man, I'm trying to think of like who would be on this this most recent Colorado Avalanche team. Lekkonen or Nachushkin? Yeah, and even I think it'd be like if Nachushkin did this and then had a less impressive second playoffs in two years from now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good one actually. Because Nachushkin even got the whole his underlying numbers are way better than his point totals thing going too. mm -hmm, Yeah, and like I get it, there is a, a a massive part of it, and people might be screaming and just like. He was a leader through and through, all that good stuff too, right? But like, there's only so much leadership you can have before it's like, all right, relax. Well, especially when you have 
Kopitar and Doughty and a Hall of Fame coach in the same room too. Like I yeah. highly think Dustin Brown's speeches were the the one war that really pushed them over the edge. Yeah, literally. I Maybe another good one would have been like if Nazem Kadri had the playoff run he did, but it was four years younger and stayed with the Avalanche. Yeah, that's another good one. Kadri's history is a little different, of course, but like he was similar in scoring this year in terms of 15. Although Kadri did it in 16 games, so he really wasn't similar in scoring. Oh man, I, I, I literally I couldn't believe it. But <laughs> Kadri's got the whole penalty differential god thing going for him too. Yeah, exactly. So um, no, I mean, congrats to Dustin Brown. I I can't stop laughing at. It. I, I do think the jersey retirement is perfect for him though. Like that's the yeah. exact type of player that you know fits a jersey retirement. Yeah, but that <laughs> statue is that's pretty funny. It's amazing. Um. All right. Well, our short episode ended up being fifty-five minutes. So I apologize for that, Chase. But um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, you can find all my stuff at NHL Suns and stuff, all Chase's stuff at CM Hockey 66 on Twitter. I saw Chase just had, I don't know if it was a post or a thread or something about uh, um, new football stuff that was out today. So uh, yeah, I finally, want... finally released something I've been working on for forever. There we go. So go check that out. Uh, you can find all Chase writing at actionnetwork.com, myself at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, and I also just posted another sense podcast, breaking down their entire off season. Um, so you can check that out wherever you're listening to, to this one. It's called the Last Word on Sends podcast. Um, not on SoundCloud, though. That's the one exception. But everywhere else it should be. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, next week, we will be starting our rankings. That'll be what we're doing through August. So talk to me centers. It'll be the first one. Then wingers, defensemen, and goalie. Um, some of the most fun podcasts we do, in, in my opinion, throughout the year. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope you all are as well. So we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.